You're listening to the Owls AmeriCast, sponsored by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow live match streaming service. Sign up now at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. Two for two in 2019 here on the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and this week I am drinking a Hell or High Watermelon by 21st Amendment Brewing. It's one of my favorite summer beers. We are getting into the dog days of summer. I had one left in the fridge. So what better way to celebrate another Wednesday victory as we record in my very, very still, despite it being almost 10 o'clock at night, humid office, than with a refreshing watermelon wheat beer. Also on the line in New York, it is Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeff. Um, First of all, I love that hella high watermelon drink too. Uh, Today, I'm very corporate. I've got a Sam Adams New England IPA which um, is actually very nice. Uh, it's the f- I think it's the first time they've done a New England IPA, which is, say, the uh, New England brand. Seems a little bit late to the uh, table, but it's pretty good. Also on the line in Ohio, rounding out our trio for the week is Evan Skilter. Evan, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeff. I'm drinking one of 64 Yingling lagers I have left in my house. Figure things we are going just, so well we right now. We just assume that... that we just default to this for the rest of the season. We don't even have to introduce <laughs> you. We just assume you're drinking a Yingling. As long a... as things continue to go well, there's no reason to switch it up. 64 bottles of beer on the wall. Did you hopefully, have just, last week? hopefully just about 60 left after this show. Didn't you have like 200 left last week? Well, it was 200 total beers that I, mean, I took home from the wedding. Various varieties, yes. All right. But I have, yeah... There's a lot of beer in this house. I mean, you know, it's no different than having a having a lucky shirt, I suppose. They That's fair. A lucky beer. 64 lucky beers. <laughs> on the agenda, two on the bounce against Barnsley. We'll have another update on the managerial situation, which is not really an update because there's nothing to update. We have the usual roundup of Wednesday news, an interview with Nancy Frostick at The Athletic UK, a preview of the Millwall game on a Saturday, on a Saturday, a weekend in lovely the den and some Owls America's other business. We will start with an opening home win at Barnsley and our 90 minutes and 90 seconds. Wednesday two Barnsley nil two for two for 2019 after a mostly comfortable victory at Hillsborough over Barnsley Wednesday got off to a flying start as Jacob Murphy put his name in the record books next to Lloyd Owusu, scoring after his first touch via a mix-up at the back and a deflected effort from Kadeem Harris that fell into his path. Wednesday had plenty of chances to double their lead in the first half, creating opportunities by constantly harrying Barnsley as they attempted to play out from the back. But Reach took one touch too many and Harris couldn't quite get his feet right. And we went into halftime up just the single goal. Overall, the South Yorkshire neighbors didn't show much attacking firepower. Their two best chances, a fortuitous bounce setting up a one-on-one that Dawson made a nice save on, and a second-half clearance off the line by Julian Borner. 
Meanwhile, once they continue to turn the screws and attack, finally getting a second after a nice run by Jacob Murphy. A flick on in traffic by Kieran Lee, setting up a left-footed bullet into the bottom corner from Stephen Fletcher. Wednesday almost nabbed a third, a substitute and debutante Massimo Luongo wreaked havoc in attack, but the top of the table Owls had to settle for merely a comprehensive 2-0 win. So our talking points from this match will start with Evan, who wants to talk more about togetherness, especially in the defense and midfield. Yeah, well, I just think that what's what sticks out, obviously, right now is, is the pace of our forwards. Um, and that's been great going forward. But I think it's been really key in pressing the defense. We saw that many times. Uh, our midfielders have also done a nice job pressing. Harris ran down a few defenders, wreaked some havoc. Uh, Reach had a few nice takeaways in midfield that led to uh, a couple half chances as well. So I just think as a unit, we've done a great job staying organized and and specifically Saturday, not allowing Barnsley the space that they needed to be successful. Uh, If you looked at the stats, they had 64% possession and over 200 more passes than we did. But the heat map that we posted on social media, and actually, shout out to Chris, um, who's taken over some of our social media duties. Uh, He he posted that heat map, uh, and we'll talk about him more later. But um, that really proved how well we we kept Barnsley out of threatening areas. The only red areas on the heat map um, were, were really just in the defensive half of the field, a little bit on the right side as well. And I would say... A decent amount of that has to do with the lack of talent on the Barnsley side, but I think um, that fact can also be attributed to our pace overall and and our experience. You know, Tom Lees is a fantastic leader, um, and and I think we need to mention Borner's positioning and awareness, uh, specifically when he cleared that ball off uh, off the line. So, um, and I guess I, I have to mention Liam Palmer. Another tweet we we put out showed that um, he's third in the championship in, in interceptions while Wednesday are third in the league as a team in that category. So I don't really know what's gotten into us, but I, I certainly hope it continues. It was a, it was a contentious tweet. Um, <laughs> I think the, uh, Liam, Liam Palmer's, Palmer's name will still, always be contentious. Still a divisive figure within Wednesday circles. But, uh, you know, jumping off that, I thought both Palmer and uh, Odebajo were much better uh, at the weekend compared to their their first game, which, you know, it's, it's a new season. Everyone's getting their legs under them. I thought their their sort of positional discipline was better. You know, Udabajo got to show off some of his sort of, uh, you know, physical strength, sort of taking on wingers one-on-one. And again, Barnsley doesn't have the attacking firepower that Redding does, but still it was nice to, uh, nice to see a little more cohesive performance from the back four, Patty. It was, and I really liked the uh, burgeoning togetherness. Let's, let's let's keep using that word, shall we? Of uh, Lees and Boner in uh, the centre of the centre of defence too. Uh, it seems like they've clicked much quicker than Lees tends to do with a new uh, defensive partner, uh, and they really complement each other quite well. Uh, there's a couple of times where they look a little shaky, but m- more often than not, they're covering each other. Uh, they both um, Lees and Boner actually are doing a lot of were bringing the ball forward and, and distributing it wide. I think it was uh, Lees that gave a great cross to uh, Kadeem, like almost Bannon-esque at one point in the second half. Uh, Kadeem Harris came through on the left-hand side and Pogo crossing. Um, but not just their distribution, their um, organisation, their passion is on display too. I don't know if you saw uh, Bonner's kind of fist pump after he cleared that ball off the line. That was a good photo doing the rounds on Twitter afterwards. It just it seems like they've immediately... The new boys have immediately got the kind of uh, the vibe of uh, the 
boosts it installed last season uh, and what uh, kind of feedback you'll get from the fans at Hillsborough if you put a good shift in. Speaking of good shifts, Patty, you want to talk about the wing play? I did. I think it's, it's pretty obvious now at this point, right? I know everyone's um, very excited about Kadeem Harris after the first game of the season. Um, and it was almost like a blessing in disguise when Bannon were, was uh, reported as injured. Usually when that happens, and even I would say up until the uh, second minute of the game uh, on Saturday, we were all pretty concerned that Bannon wasn't in the first eleven. But actually what it gave us was a lot more balance than we had against Reading. So rather having reach out on the wing against Reading, you have Jacob Murphy coming on the wing and reach play a more central attacking midfield role. And that, I thought, worked wonders, especially against the Barnsley. You've got both the pace on both wings now stretching that Barnsley defence, which reaped so many good rewards to us throughout the 90 minutes. We just cut them open time and time again. Got behind the defence, um, found loads of space, um, I think Murphy is slightly different to Harris in that Harris will tend to hug the uh, the byline more, whereas Murphy seems to like to cut in and change flanks. Every now and again, you saw that for his first goal as he kind of overtook Harris on the left to find some space and then slotted it away nicely. Um, but then you also saw him uh, wide right as well, pulling defenders out. He was very much involved in the second goal where he kind of burst past a couple of players, loved little ball to Kieran Lee, and Kieran Lee laid it off to Fletcher. But this pace, and Erin alluded to it earlier on, just it's not just about the attacking prowess, it's about how we're closing down people every second. We just did not give the Barnsley players any um, any time at all on the ball when they're in their own half. That heat map showed that they spent most of the time in their own half. It was red. That's because they were panicking. We were just closing them down every second of every, every uh, uh, minute in that game. Uh, and it's mainly down to the amount of pace we have on those wings now. Um, and I'm really excited. It, it gives Bullen a massive headache if Bannon's fit for the weekend. What do you do? Now you've got everyone playing so well and you've got that balance in the wings. Uh, surely you, you can't keep Bannon out of the team. Uh, and I think Reach put in a good shift as well. So it's uh, it's a nice headache to have coming up. And I'll, I'm interested to see how Bullen uh, accommodates all these people. We talked a lot about the Barnsley heat map, but I do want to uh, shift to the Wednesday heat map that you can find on our Twitter account at Owls Americas. It's like Kadeem Harris Island out there on the left. Like, if you look at sort of the volume of possession in the Wednesday half, it's all on that left flank. And it's not just that, you know, Harris is, you know, very direct with the ball. He's he's very good at finding space. Instead of the ball that Lee's put into him, and there were some other, you know, Murphy cross, uh, cross one to him as well. He just finds space on that left side. Now, it's tough to tell with the with the camera angles as, as multitude and high def as they are now, because, you know, they're following the action for the most part. And just suddenly, all of a sudden, Kadeem Harris will pop up by himself. And it's, it's, you don't know how he got there exactly or how he, no one's marking him. Like, I assume at some point the, the scouting report will get out that he's the most dangerous player uh, on the pitch going forward. But until then, like, he's going to, I think I said this on Twitter uh, this weekend, I think he's going to win what a hundred corner kicks for Wednesday, and like we, like, I think like, we never get corners. We've never had any wing play. Like it's pure luck. It's like a you know, it's a stop shot that rolls out or something. It's not you know a, a deflected cross or you know a, a last ditch tackle. He's just going to generate so many uh, so many set piece opportunities. I think Evan. 
Yeah, and you know what? I say let the scouting report show that he's great and let them start focusing on him on the left side because as soon as they move one of their backs out to uh, to defend him, there's going to be space for one of Kieran Lee, Adam Reach, Barry Bannon, uh, Luongo looks like he can take up some space as well. That They're going to fill um, fill that open space that, that has been created by, um, by Harris stretching the field. And so I think, yeah, he's, he's creating great space now for himself, and that's going to lead in the future to creating space for others. Um, I just think we have such a, a great, uh, such a great team, uh, that, that, that plays to each other's strengths right now. Um, and, and man, I, I hate, I know it's just two matches and I hate to get carried away, but, um, you know, my goodness, there, there's so many threats that we have right now, whether it's at the front or in the midfield and even, um, you know, Palmer and Odebajo coming, uh, up the wings. It's just, um. I think Wednesday are a scary team for people to have to game plan against. No, no, Evan. It's a it's a Wednesday night tradition to get really excited after two wins, and then we'll be morose and think they're going down if they lose two one at Millwall Jeff, this weekend. <laughs> Jeff, it is not Wednesday tradition to win the first two matches. It's true, of the not season. since nineteen ninety six. Thank you. And I want to point to maybe a maybe a hidden reason that they've won these first two games, and I think uh, Lee Bowen has gotten it spot on the first two games. Um, you know, the four, three, three is working really well, uh, as Patty laid out. It's a much more balanced formation this week, um, with Murphy and, and Harris on the wings. We have a, a plethora of midfield options. I thought he pulled the strings well, like, you know, he switched from a four, three, three to a four, uh, more of a four, two, three, one to kill off the game, bringing on, uh, Pelopesi and Luongo. Um, you know, there's going to come a time where he's going to have to, you know, figure out how to come from behind or or see out a game where there's maybe a little bit more uh, offensive threat or attacking pressure. Uh, and we'll see what his tactical chops are. But, you know, they seem to be playing for him. Um, he's gotten the formation and the tactics right two weeks in a row. And, you know, we can, I use this, I guess, to trans... Uh, move on to the managerial situation, Patty, but it's been pretty quiet. Is this just Lee Bowen's job for the foreseeable future? Well, I think let's build on the tactics that you touched about earlier on. I think he managed that game extremely well. Um, and this sometimes is a falling point for uh, managers in the first few games, right? They make the changes too late in the game. And basically he's, he's come, uh, he's had a, a pretty easy game to manage uh, the way the goals went in on Saturday, but still um, bringing in those players, closing down the game, uh, giving people some time that haven't had time on the pitch yet, like like Luongo. Uh, um, he still wouldn't have played Murphy if Bannon wasn't fit, but obviously Murphy got a, a good run out too. Um, I think he's doing everything right at the moment. You know what is um, which leads us onto the the managerial thing. I am now fully in the camp for Bullen to stay because. Half the job, maybe even more than half the job of being a manager is to have uh, the players on your side and want to play for you. And we've seen that in buckets. Uh, people have said it in the interviews. We've seen it on the pitch. Um, that they want to succeed with Bullen. They trust him. They respect him. Um, the only like question we had at the beginning of the season was, does he have the tactical mouse to uh, last the full season? I think... 
we haven't answered that question by any means yet, but we're seeing signs that he's probably matured as a manager tactically since we first his first Kitek spell uh, a few years ago, for instance. So for me now, if you bring another manager in, uh, he's going to have new ideas. He wants to, he wants to stamp his uh, uh, kind of uh, style on the team, the squad. It could go wrong. It could be a, a Yoss situation where he alienates people. Uh, for me, it has to be Bullen now for the rest of the season. Um, he's got the dressing room where they are, where, where they want to be. They're playing for him. They respect him. Anything else coming into that dressing room right now is going to disturb the vibe we've got, and I think we should keep it as is. I think one thing not to overlook here either is this is, you don't want to say the the team is just going to, you know, sort of play by itself, like, and just wind it up and go, but this is a, a veteran championship squad. The spine of this team has, has played together for four or five seasons now. Everyone knows their role. Everyone uh, knows how to react when they're winning, knows how to have a response when they're losing. Um, you know, they've, they've seen it all, basically. Um, you know, and you still have, you know, obviously new players in the squad that, you know, will will need to integrate and, and keep things fresh. But it's, like you said, Patty, so much of this is not even just having the locker room, but a lot of it's momentum, too. You know, they're going to be able to build off this, off these wins. And, you know, it's a soft early season schedule. It'll be good for both the players and, and, the, and the manager to get, get their feet out from under them. And, I mean, really, at this point, like... Who are the other options, Evan? No, they're, they're really... I'm sure you could find somebody that, that's had some success, but it's just... Patty, Patty said it perfectly. We have so much momentum. The team knows their... Well, you said it too, Jeff. The, the team knows their role. Um, and, and right now, you bring someone else in. It doesn't matter who it is or how great they are. There's no reason right now to to switch or change anything up. I, I mean, our lineup's working. Um, we've improved each match. I mean, we've, we've looked great. We've improved from our friendlies to match one to match two. Um, we just all around, everything's going well right now. And like you both said, that there's no reason to switch it up. Yeah, I think we sort of have this view of Bowen as sort of the, you know, fiery defensive captain that he was when he wore the Wednesday shirt, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But you know, he's been in the coaching setup there now for what, almost a decade? Like, he knows the club. He knows the league. Um, you know, you assume that he's, you know, as I sort of suggested a few weeks ago, picked up little bits and pieces from the from the various managers that he's worked under. Like, there's no reason to think he can't do the job until we have a little bit more of a, of a sample to look at. And really, so far... There's really nothing to quibble with. Yep, I agree. So with that, we'll take a break and move on to our interview segment with Nancy Frostick of the recently launched Athletic UK. interview segment this week we're joined by nancy frostick of the athletic uk nancy we normally open this segment by asking our guests how they became a wednesdayite but we know for a fact that you're not a wednesdayite so how did a southampton fan end up the sheffield wednesday reporter for the athletic uk 
um, yeah, it's a good question and not not necessarily a straightforward answer. Um, I guess um, I ended up in Sheffield just over a year ago. Um, I got the job at the Star originally, and just that was the only reason I moved to Sheffield. I'd never been. Uh, I think I'd been once before, but I, I didn't have a particular affiliation with either club or a feeling towards one or the other of good or bad <laughs> description. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd come from Wiltshire originally and sort of gradually moved up the country for uni and then for my journalism training. So, um, and then I got um, got the opportunity to move on to, on to Wednesday coverage on the Star. Um, and yeah, now I'm, I'm all Wednesday all the time. <laughs> Have you always worked around football journalism, or what was what did you kind of what were your strengths um, studying? Um, so I did uh, my undergrad degree was history and English, um, but at the same time I really got into doing the student paper and doing the sports section. I never did like the news section or anything else. It was literally just the sports section. Um, and then even during my journalism training, they were like. You know, it's quite hard to go straight into sport. It might be worth getting some experience on the news desk at places, which I did, and then was lucky enough to get straight into a digital football writer job at the Star. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I've I didn't mind, uh, you know, straight news writing. It, it's interesting and it's absolutely like crucial at local level, but um, doesn't excite me the same way that writing about football does all the time. So. It's, it's quite a sentence, isn't it, really? I mean, um, must be quite exciting. So for the people that don't know that listen to this podcast, can you explain the model of The Athletic? Uh, it seems to be taking over um, uh, journalism around football, especially uh, both here in the US and in the UK at the moment. So it'd be good to like, have like a top line, what's going on at The Athletic at the moment? Yeah, so um, we've just launched in the UK um, and it's a really exciting new project um so far it's going well basically it's um the best football writing team ever assembled is kind of our our strap line um and it really is you know it's the top journalists um national and local from around the uk have all been recruited into this writing team a couple of newbies like myself um who are just really lucky to get this experience and mix in with some really great writers um and it's, it is a subscription service, so, um, you know, you pay sort of, you can get a half-price deal at the moment, £2.49 a month for the year. Um, and you're getting kind of long-read, in-depth pieces that maybe um, other outlets can't devote the time to because their focus is on news stories or sports news stories, match reports, you know, uh, press conferences, that sort of thing. Um, we're still there, we're still at the matches and we're still at the press conferences, but we might be doing more stats-based pieces or in-depth interviews and kind of the weird and quirky and nerdy pieces that Wednesday fans are interested in because it's about Wednesday, but you know, your Nottingham Forest fan might not be interested in. Every now and then there's a crossover piece or a piece that one of the overarching writers will, will write about, but um, yeah, it's kind of Hopefully, giving the fans exactly the sort of content that you want and you're willing to pay for. And the news in Sheffield this week, as it relates to Wednesday, is sort of the the hot start in the managerial situation. Uh, do you have any feeling, sort of, on the ground there, if Lee Bullen, it's like Lee Bullen's job for the foreseeable future at this point? Um, 
it doesn't sound like there's any great rush at the moment <laughs> in terms of sorting something out either way. Um, both the players and, and Lee have sort of said, we'll just carry on as we are. Um, and as far as I know, um, things haven't been, there hasn't been anything close or if they are close to anything, everyone's keeping their cards quite close to the chest. Um, so, I mean, I suppose it's a good sign of trust in, in Lee Bullen that they're just happy to let him uh, keep things going and he's had a great start. So it'll be interesting. I think I went on record this uh, podcast, uh, Nancy, as uh, saying that I want Bullen to stay in charge now for the season, give him the chance. Um, I know you wrote a really good article about this um, last week. Um, what's your thoughts? Do you think uh, you think he should stay on for the rest of the season? Um, I'm a bit torn because I think he'd do a fantastic job and he's proven himself already. Um, and I sort of talked about it in the piece, you know, as the players inside out, obviously he's been at the club when we've had this turnover of managers and he kind of pulls everyone together. And But then at the same time, he's kind of one of Wednesday's best assets and, you know, he's a really nice guy and part of me just feels... Football's ruthless. Um, you don't get along anywhere. And it's kind of like if you then got the job and six to eight months down the line, something happened and he got sacked or he left. It's kind of like Wednesday be shooting themselves in the foot a bit. And he's so loyal and devoted to the club that it's then a bit like, I don't know, I feel like his, he's been unfairly punished for showing all this loyalty for years. I guess something a bit like... Um, maybe a situation like Craig Shakespeare at Leicester or you kind of, how do you repay the faith and the loyalty of these long, long serving coaches? Um, be interesting. It also feels quite final, isn't it? I don't really, um, no one's ever really thought of the next step if it does go wrong. So usually if a manager is doing poorly, he gets sacked. They don't often demote them back to like, say a, I don't know, a youth management or anything like that. They usually just leave the club entirely. So in this case, if as Bullen's been around the setup for so long, and say he took the management job completely, and say he didn't do very well, would he be sacked or would he be then demoted back to what he was previously? It's it's a weird situation to handle once if that happens that way. I think it's yeah. diff- I think it's different too when uh, you know when the new manager comes in, he's obviously been the assistant coach for a bunch of them. You know, he's he spans I think four or five coaching areas at this point but it's different when the you know the assistant coach is sitting over your shoulder and has previous management experience with that club i think yeah i think it is yeah i'd be interested to see how he plays out if that does happen um but for now i think uh, he's doing a great job and like you say if, if there's no real rush in the the club nancy then uh i'm happy for bullen to keep on uh, rolling especially with the winds keep coming through too <laughs> definitely another uh factor in these wins besides Lee Bowen's organization and tactics have been some of the new signings. You wrote an interesting piece uh, that just went up Monday on Kadeem Harris. And I, I just love this headline, can I say? Harris already has made more dribbles this season than Boyd in the whole of last campaign. <laughs> um, so you obviously covered the team uh, last year and this year. What do you think has been the biggest difference that the new signings have brought to the table? Um, I guess the immediate and strikingly obvious thing is just um, pace, width and willingness to run at players with the ball 
Um, so noticeably with Harris, and that was you know clear in preseason as well. But they've managed to get Murphy in on on the opposite wing, and he's doing a fairly similar job. Um, but Luongo, who came in on deadline day, you know I think he's the only player that Wednesday paid a fee for this summer. But it looks to be a good piece of business because he's already providing an extra option um, in midfield. And I was speaking to Barry Bannon after the game on Saturday against Barnsley and he was saying like he picked up a calf injury um, and previously he might have had to have played through the pain and played through that injury because last season Wednesday were a bit light um, in, in central midfield options. Now obviously Kieran Lee's come back as well but Luongo just gives that extra cover and, and obviously he'll add his own strength to, to Wednesday's starting team if he starts or, or off the bench. Um so yeah, and we yet to see anything with David Bates um, and uh, the goalkeeper, whose name has fallen out of my head. But um, you'd imagine he's obviously third choice behind Dawson and, and uh, Westwood anyway. Yeah, I think so. That's Paul Jones. Think you were you blanking yeah. on there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. It's okay. We forgot um, to mention him. We did the transfer roundup last week. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, one of the things, uh, one of the signings that you did a kind of uh, deep dive on in, in one of your first articles for the Athletic was uh, Julian Berner, um, oh. and it was—I thought it was a great article because it's something that um, you don't often get that kind of um, level of detail um, on a new arrival. And you spoke about how he's got a—is it a World Cup-winning wife? Yeah. So his um, his wife um, Christina, she won the under twenty World Cup with Germany. Um, so, uh, yeah, she, she retired a few years ago, I think to focus on her, um, on her degree. Um, but she, she's played at a pretty high level in Germany herself, um, in the Bundesliga, well, the Frauen Bundesliga. So, um, yeah, <laughs> she's talented cool. player. What do you think, uh, how do you think, uh, Gillian started the season? Cause I think he's, he's been pretty strong so far. Yeah, I think he's been fantastic. I mean, um, uh, you know, just noticing on Twitter that that the fans have really taken to him straight away. He he slotted in. He um, reads the game really well, and he reads it to a point where, you know, he's not the quickest player in the world, um, but his ability to judge when he needs to be in certain positions means that he doesn't have to worry about that lack of pace, you know. Um, and he's he's physical. He's got up in the air. He's on Saturday against Barnsley, he was up in the box for corners and, and free kicks and I would say a good three or four times he was on the end of the cross. So um, that was something that actually, when I spoke to people in Germany about him, um, they said he is a real a real aerial threat um, offensively. Um, and yeah, he seems quite comfortable with the ball at his feet too. He does, yeah. I think uh, he's, he's missed a couple of uh, headers which I thought should have been on target so far. It's the only kind of uh, complaint I have against him, but... Um, other than that, I'm, uh, it's it's amazing to me how he's just fitted in so uh, so seamlessly with Tom Lees. And Tom Lees, we've known in the past him to struggle with certain partners. It seems like they've got on pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to see the future of that uh, partnership uh, blossom. So, yeah, hopefully it's a good uh, signing. Okay, we've got one more topic I want to talk to you about. And um, it's probably the one that impacts us in the US the least but I know people back home listen to this podcast quite a lot. Uh, and it's something that's, uh, I would say, is controversial too. So um, you wrote an article, I think it was yesterday, about the Leppings Lane end uh, and the report from uh, the Safety Advisory Group, or SAG as it's often known, 
issuing a notice uh, that we are no longer to exit the north stand, I think, and south stand too, right, at the Leppings Lane end of the stadium, because they say it's uh, it's not safe to mix with the supporters coming out of the away ground, away end. Um, the uh, rather, um, I would say, controversial headline is: Is it finally time to knock down Leppings Lane, Nancy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what um, What's your opinion on this? Because um, it is something that I think Wednesday fans hold dear to them, but also the rest of the footballing world may not hold so dear due to the history around it. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess initially the report and my overriding thought about this prohibition notice that's been put on the ground is um, kind of that the Wednesday fans have been left out of of the discussion and maybe the practicalities of of what this means on a match day has kind of been an afterthought. Um, In terms of that headline, um, that was a question that um, when I spoke to a fan, they were like, you know, this has really made us think, do we need to pull down Leppins Lane? Do we need to pull down Hillsborough? Like, how do we tackle this? Because it's 30 years since Hillsborough happened. And obviously it's not the same problem, but it's still the capacity has been limited for other safety reasons and, you know, various, various things have happened. Um, so I guess it's an interesting point. I saw a video that someone posted in, um, in a reply to my article today of some plans, um, when England were bidding for the World Cup, um, of what Hillsborough an upgrade could look like. And I was watching it and I just thought, oh my God, that would be so good. Like, um, it had a big new stand on uh, Leppings Lane and the corners were covered and sort of filled in and it just looked really, really good. Um, In reality, though, uh, I don't know. The club could do these things outside of FFP because you can improve uh, ground and the training ground without um, without sort of worrying about FFP. It's outside of those outside of that remit. But um, I I think it probably needs to happen. Um, some sort of upgrade on the stadium. Um, I think it's a fantastic ground. It's got way more personality than half of these, you know, just circ- circular stadiums that are built on trading estates on the edge of town. Um, and but at the same time it's kind of there are bits of it that need a bit of love and for whatever reason that hasn't happened so um I guess if you were going to start anywhere maybe maybe Leffings Lane would be the place to start just um with the history there uh, it might it might make sense yeah and, the, and I said earlier when obviously it's it's not really it's it's, a, it's an area it's a time of our um stage in which was obviously a horrible um event and the the only reason that Wednesday fans have got some uh, uh, fondness to it, obviously that is, is it's a one event thing for the rest of their mm-hmm. lifetime. It's still part of Hillsborough, right? And it's still part of our home. So I think it brings up a lot of emotion when you talk about tearing things down. Um, but from my point of view, I've, see, I've seen that stand. I think I went in it when I was really young once. And I was shocked to see what poor state it was in. It's just, it feels like it's just been left to rot for the last, well, 30 years pretty much. Um, so it does need some love. I, I think if we're looking to modernize uh, Hillsborough at all, that's probably the standard we would start with. Uh, like you say, I'm not sure how it would, how you get around the fact that fans would still then meet and mix on the same 
like on, on Lapping Lane, for instance, that's more of a location um, issue than the where uh, people exit and, and and get into the stand. So I'm not sure it would solve all of SYP's problems, but um, I think as far as making the the, the Wayfan experience better, then definitely some modernizations are needed in that in that area of the stand. Um, cool. Well. We've kind of got a whirlwind tour of your articles so far, Nancy. Um, <laughs> you can get to uh, read all this in much more detail on theathletic.com. Um, I think we'll probably uh, finish with asking you a final question on what are your realistic expectations for Wednesday this season? Um, we've, we put our, our bets in the beginning of the season, uh, and I was kind of surprised that only one of us really predicted us to get into the playoffs. That was before a ball was kicked, let me, let me add that. Um, so two games in... How are you feeling? Uh, I would say strangely optimistic compared to two games previously. Um, you know, all that all that movement on deadline day really now looks like savvy business. Um, so I think um, I did a season preview, and at the time I'd, I'd said anywhere between eighth and tenth should be what Wednesday are going for. Um, realistically, now that I think somewhere between sixth and sixth and eighth, maybe. Um, um, if I'm being brutally honest I think there are stronger teams in the championship but then this is the championship so that doesn't mean a lot you know Leeds could do a Leeds again and everything will fall apart and you know who knows what Derby will do or anything anything can happen really so um, but I think 6th to 8th is probably like a a fair fair representation of where the squad's at I think um you've got this new blood in there but you've also got quite a few players that are still aging and probably could do with being moved on soon um so yeah I reckon I reckon about there um and then you know if you sneak into the playoffs um really anything can happen so (laughs) but it's got got to be better than um than 12th so um I think there's every reason for optimism We've been talking to Nancy Frostick of The Athletic UK. You can follow her on Twitter at Nancy Frostick and read her stuff at athletic.com or on The Athletic app. Thanks for joining us. Now it's time for the Wednesday news for the week, and there's really no Wednesday news. Eh, quiet week. Under-23s got their season off to a start with a 1-1 draw. And Wednesday have been drawn away to Rotherham in the Cup after whatever happens to Barry, which I mean, I assume they end up having to forfeit the game because I don't think they can reschedule it before the next game, Patty. Yeah, they've already had to um, reschedule their league game on Saturday because uh, they haven't provided the EFL with evidence that they can uh, financially support the club yet. So it's not looking good for Barry, which is a shame. I know I discussed it last week on the podcast too, so we won't go into it again. But um, currently as it stands, it looks like we will get a bye um, into the next round and we'll get to <laughs> go away to Rotherham again. After we thought we'd done away with them last season, we now have them again in the Cup. So um, I want to say it's the best, at least it's a short trip for the people back home to go to Rotherham away than it is to go to, uh, say, I don't know, Middlesbrough on a Tuesday. Yeah, that's Who knows? It might get on television because it's a local local rivalry. <laughs> it's really the best you can say. <laughs> yeah. it, sounded like you, it sounded like you were hesitant to say Derby there. 
Uh, I, I am. It's a local rivalry. I'll go as far as saying it's a local rivalry. Right. Well, That's very well, US way. What was Barnsley then? Was that a derby? Derby? That's a, that's a local rivalry, rivalry too. <laughs> in Barnsley and Rotherham's eyes, it's the biggest game of the year, but in our eyes, yeah, they're local, I suppose. We'll give them that. There. And the best you can say about Millwall away this weekend, Paddy, is it's actually on a weekend. Yeah, I mean, the first time in, in years. I've been to many a night at the uh, Den um, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I was there actually last season for the nil-nil draw, which was one of the worst <laughs> away games I've been to. Um, I think I was there the year before that too. It's just um, you always do nice seem place. to end up there for Millwall away. I know it's weird, isn't it? I think I've been to that ground more than any ground. Cause I used to live in London for nine years. I've, I've been to that ground probably more than most grounds. That and Brentford, I went to quite a lot too. Um, which is not really the thing you wanted to aim for when you go to away grounds, going to Millwall more than you have to. Um, but as, as I said, last time I went to Millwall, it was such a non-event. You usually get a bit of abuse, you some, some coins thrown at you and stuff. I mean, it was during the time when Millwall weren't playing very well, and even they couldn't be t- bothered to turn up to abusers. They're just like, eh. like half the crowd was there. It was such a flat atmosphere. It was uh, very disappointing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, they've actually started off reasonably well this uh, season, haven't they? Um, I think that win and a draw. Um, Evan, I think you've been looking at this more than I have. Yeah, I mean, r- result-wise, win and a draw, that's not bad for a team that Jeff and I both picked to be relegated this year. I will pick um, them and relegate them every year until they finally yeah. get relegated. Yep, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. It's always... Uh, the, the supporters of Millwall don't like hearing that from us. Um, so I'll say it until I die, I suppose. Um, I listening to us, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, and they actually they just won today against West Brom in the uh, in the League Cup, uh, which was their second match in a row against West Brom. Um, yeah, like you said, one win, one draw. However, they're only averaging thirty eight percent of possession and completing less than sixty percent of their passes, which are both the lowest in the league. So um, statistically, not really a good side. Um, but it's Millwall after all, so I'm sure something weird or interesting will happen uh, throughout the course of the match. Hopefully they'll remember their home kits since they're at home. I'm sure they can probably find them somewhere if they forget them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Patty, we have some Owls America's other business. Uh, yeah, we do. So there will be some meetups this week. Well, it'll be a meetup at least in New Orleans. That looks like it's going to be at Finn McCool's. There, uh, I wanted to call into a few things as well happening around the group. So you may have noticed uh, our social channels have had a bit of an upgrade recently. We've uh, none asked... of us are running it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just, we're good. I mean, you got the king of socials, myself. Um, and then Evan, the prince of socials. Um, but apparently we've just hired the emperor of socials, which is Chris Robinson. Um, and you'll see some of the great contacts part already if you follow our Twitter handles. If you don't follow our Twitter and Facebook handles, um, why, first of all, why you listen to this and not listen to us on social media? Um, so at Owls Americas, Facebook Owls Americas, Instagram Owls Americas, um, loads of cool stuff like little clips of little pieces of tricks and things that happened in the matches. Great stats from Chris too. Lovely insights that he's bringing through to the, to the uh, fans, getting massive traction. So uh, head on over to our social media uh, to look at all that cool shit. Um, 
the last thing I want to talk about, um, you may have seen over the last two weeks at the football uh, stadiums we have played at, so Hillsborough and Medeski, um, we have been represented rather well by Jamie in New Orleans. And uh, last, the first game, it was James, our own James, um, at Reading 2, uh, flying the Owls America's flag at that stadium there. But even cooler, this week we had uh, Mike from the podcast also, Mike in Poland, took his kid uh, up with the London Owls. So thanks to London Owls for helping Mike out with that. Met Jamie at, Jamie and Tim, sorry, at New Orleans at Hillsborough. Took some more photos with the flag. I think it was Jamie that put the flag up in the stadium and just so happens to be the same game where they've got this really cool like 360 camera. Have you seen that? It's like a, I don't know, like megapixel camera, 360 degrees of the Hillsborough Stadium. So you can actually try and find where you are in the ground uh, on this new 360 camera on the website. And uh, you can see our flag very easily. So I think it's like center circle almost, a bit more to the cop side of things. Uh, so, yeah, we are now immortalized in that 360 uh, camera. So check it out on uh, our social media or on the Owls website. This has been episode 73 of the Owls Americas, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. Our podcast all year is brought to you by the Sheffield Wednesday I Follow Live Match Streaming Service. You can sign up at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. Our podcast intro and bumpers of I Follow Wednesday is forever in the makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Evan is on Twitter, at Ohio Owl. Evan, what is the current yingling count? I'm only down to 63. Uh, unfortunately, the, the show wasn't as long as I thought it would be, and uh, didn't get a second to get up and get another one. So 63, hopefully after uh, a week of matches and just regular stress we're down to about 50 by uh, by the time we talk again jeff we'll definitely we'll definitely check in on the count next week patty is on twitter at new york owls and at patty a jones uh patty how was that new england ipa it's i say it's better than you expect it to be for a, a kind of large uh brewery it's is not the uh opaque new england hazy, ipa hazy is the term yeah, easy. Not the easy, opaque IPA that New England are famed for, but it is um, still pretty nice for a cheap IPA. And I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. I find New England IPAs generally just taste too much like mimosas for me. But we'll see you <laughs> back here next week. <laughs>